sisters, listen closely. Finding out he's the one can sometimes feel like traveling through a desert of uncertainty. I mean, every time you feel like you've reached an oasis, it ends up being a mirage. As your resident sister and friend, here are five common red flags that you need to steer clear away from. First up, if he's asking for your phone number straight off the bat, but not your dad's, well, that's a major red flag waving in your face. Next, if he's hitting you up with texts and calls late at night, you better believe he's not serious and chances are he won't respect your boundaries. Watch out for those put down disguised as sarcastic banters. You know, the ones that make you the butt of the joke. It's time to show him the door. And oh, if he's more interested in hearing himself talk than listening to what you have to say, girl, that's a sign you need to run in the opposite direction. And let's not forget the classic line, my ex was crazy. Yeah, right. If he's mouth-mouthing his ex left and right, chances are he's the one with the issues. And those are just the obvious red flags. Let's help you uncover what's really hiding underneath the surface with Vibe Check, the ultimate prompt card game for meaningful connections. Crafted with deep respect for Islamic traditions, Vitech goes beyond the surface, allowing you to discover the essence of your potential life partner's faith, character, and aspirations. With eight thoughtfully crafted categories and 135 thought-provoking questions, Vitech ensures a comprehensive understanding of your potential spouse, from values and ambitions to personal quirks and preferences. I mean, skip the surface-level discussions and dive straight into what truly matters. Visit our website, www.thedigitalstory.com now and take the first step towards finding your righteous partner. Your journey to marital bliss begins here. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister and friend, Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. I am very, 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 very excited to introduce today's guest. I know I say that about every guest on this podcast, but I really mean it this time, okay? Okay, I really mean it this time because this guest is not an ordinary guest, okay? Matter of fact, this guest is a dream guest on my milestone, you know, guest list. Like, guests I would love to interview. And today in this episode, I get to cross one out. Like, that's how much of a big deal this is, and I'm so excited. Um, and so I first learned about this guest um, from a friend who sent me an article about her. And the little that I read about her, I was like, nah, 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 nah. I immediately need to know more. And so without no, like, long talk, let me present you today's guest. Shazrina Bintiazman, who most of you may know as Ms. Nina, is a Malaysian woman who carries many, many titles. She is a fashion designer, a mother, a motivational speaker, a television personality, a humanitarian, and a co-founder of Dobbs TV. But before she was all of that, she was someone else. She was Ms. Nina, a musician, singer, rapper, and a top-charting pop star. And so Shazrina's story begins with the love story of her parents. My, my father grew up, um, he was very, he grew up from, from very humble beginnings. Uh, he's the eldest of 13 children. 
And my, yeah, my grandmother was the headmistress at the school in the village at that time. And they, they you know, my dad, you know, grew up in, in one, it's like a one bedroom house, 13 kids in one big room. So they, they were quite poor. And my mom, she, she's kind of like from the royal family, one of the royal families in Malaysia. So it's, it's like a very interesting love story. And in the, what? yeah, in the 60s, in the 50s, 60s, it wasn't common to have like a royalty lady marry like somebody from the village. Mm. So, so they had to go through a lot to kind of convince their parents for them to get married. Uh, but my father was so like persistent. He really wanted to marry my mom. And so alhamdulillah, they, they got married. Just a couple of weeks ago, they had their 60th anniversary. Wow. Six zero. I think that's called diamond Allah anniversary. Mubarak. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah, Tabarak. 60th Allah Mubarak. They should open up an institution to help to, to tell us all the secrets of how to stay married. Because MashaAllah, Tabarak. 60 years. 60 years. Allah Mubarak. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah, oh, Tabarak Allah. So what was it like? Um, what was your childhood like? Well, my, my childhood, I think, was very protected. Um, my father is uh, somebody who was in the banking industry. And so, alhamdulillah, you know, from humble beginnings, he, he did really well for himself and, and the family. And so I grew up in a very protected um, environment. You know, I, I remember when I was eight years old or so, I, I used to have a bodyguard following me around. And that was the norm until I was about 16. And I used to, I used to try to run away from the bodyguard. I was like, can you leave me? Can you just leave me alone? Me and my friends, you know, <laughs> stop following me. But he's just doing his job. But, um, I, you know, I remember, I remember days where, where I, you know, I, I never be alone going out. I'll always have someone with me. Out of curiosity, what were your parents protecting you from? Why did you have bodyguards? Because uh, when I was about 10, one of my cousins, he was my age. He was uh, kidnapped. And Subhanallah. Uh, taken away for a couple of weeks, and the kidnappers took him into this one, uh, to, into a jungle, and kept him there and asked for ransom. But Alhamdulillah, they didn't hurt him. They didn't hurt him. They they fed him and you know took him to the toilet. Subhanallah. Yeah, it was the whole. It was a uh, Subhanallah. It was so scary. And I remember him telling me uh, after two weeks, I think uh, the the Malaysian police came and rescued him. I think after I, I, I'm not sure how they they found him, but they they rescued him. Alhamdulillah, and he was unharmed. Subhanallah. 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 So I think so that's something that happens. Yeah, because yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of people that work the bank here, but none of their kids are protected. Mm. But I guess like that's something that occurs in Malaysia. Subhanallah. I think Malaysia, um, maybe um Asian countries. There's a lot, especially Asian especially wow, children. I never knew that children get adop ad yeah. adopted a lot. If you see on YouTube, there's a lot of cases where children are just getting kidnapped. You know, especially babies and young children. Subhanallah. Mm. That's 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 super intense. Yeah. Um. So you had a very happy life, um, youngest kid, with a bodyguard that was following you everywhere. And I can only imagine. <laughs> Shazrina's siblings were being educated in the U.S., and so naturally they brought piece of the West back with them when they came home. Shazrina was opened up to the world that was the American hip hop scene in the '90s, at the height of his influence, might I add. And when I tell you she was enamored by it all. She was completely enamored. Biggie, Tupac, the East Coast versus West Coast, the oversized plaid shirts, I mean, all of it. 
they used to come back every year with different types of records, cassette tapes, videos. And I, being the youngest, you know, child, I, I basically kind of absorb and listen and watch everything they brought home. And, mm. and from there, uh, you know, I started loving um, music. I started loving the hip hop culture in America. Oh. You know, I started watching all these like videos, MTV, you know, In Living Color. Yeah. Yes. You know, Breakdance the movie, you know, all, yeah. ki- all kinds of movies, right? Uh, yeah. And yeah. that's, I, I started loving this, this, this movement. Yeah. So that's when, and plus my family, you know, my parents love music. My mom and dad used to sing all the time. They used to perform at shows, you know, for companies. Uh, yeah. Wow. My mom, she opened up a music school, like a singing school, performing mm-hmm. arts school. So I used to go there after school and I'd practice my singing, I'd practice dancing. And I do that in school as well. And I was really active in, in performing arts and, uh, and sports. Um, so it was wow. really, I think I was influenced at a young age from my family, definitely. So when did, like, when did you catch your big break? Uh, I remember I was probably 16 years old. Um, there, was, there was this club. It was called Sharks, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. It's so long. 1996, a long time ago. And uh, at that time, I was, uh, you know, I've been writing poetry for quite a number of years before that. And I started kind of like uh, writing my own um, rhymes. And I, I had written a verse and I had practiced it a lot. And I went to this one gig and I remember there was this group. Um, it, was, it was one of the like in hip hop groups at the time. Was, they, they're called Poetic Emo. And mm-hmm. I was like, uh, there was this one MC, his name is Yogi B. And I was like... I was like, bro, can you give me, can you give me like a minute on stage? You know, can you just, can yeah. you, can you just like do a beatbox and I'll just, you know, let me spit a verse, right? And he's like, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it during the intermission. I, I could just remember being on stage, the lights, I was pumped up. I was excited. That was the first time I had ever, you know, like rapped on stage, kind of like not really freestyle, but I had my own verse. And at that time, there weren't any female MCs in KL. That there were probably mm. there probably was one like female R and B singer and she did rap it a little bit but there there weren't any so that was like my my big break, and ever since then like I I I was like kind of approached by different people you know they're like hey you want to join our group you know when you're, you're you know you're young when you're young you just you you want to join crews you're you're in this you know with this group or that group, so that particular performance put me into the hip hop scene, and then I started to grow from there. Uh, and I and I and I joined a group called the Tetaric Crew. Shazarina joins Tetaric Crew and goes on to perform across Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, and soon enough, at one of the biggest and respected stages, the Commonwealth Games. At some point, the group grows out of doing gigs, which gives Shazarina the opportunity to go solo. And so she went on to work with huge artists like Flo Rida, Jay Park. Pitbull even shared stages with Justin Bieber. She even made it to the top Billboard 100 in the pop category, breaking to a completely new genre. Shazmina was at the top of her game. I remember I heard it on radio, you know, Miss Nina's What You Waiting For, number one. I was like, what? SubhanAllah. Online, it was number one. Uh, I was like, I didn't expect it to go viral at all. Uh, I was I was happy, but at the t- at the same time I was kind of like nervous. I'm like, okay, so what's gonna happen now? You know, what am I gonna mm-hmm. do now? So now I have to come up with the next hit. Yeah. And that whole process sometimes can be very uh, nerve wracking. It can be. It, it makes me anxious. You know, it made me anxious 
Wow, subhanAllah. When you were at your highest, you know, what are the things that you saw? Because I always say that, like, when you're in a, when you get to a particular place, you start to see the reality of things, right? When you're trying to make it somewhere, you just don't see too much. And then you get somewhere and then you start to see all the closed spaces and you start to go, wow, people are a bit different here. Their motivations are different than the one I'm, I'm in. Did you at all see the realities of the industry at the time that you were kind of at your highest, at your top? SubhanAllah, the industry, you know, people think that the music industry is is everything. What you see on music videos, it's like the real life. That's what mm-hmm. I thought when I was younger. You know, when I was that 16-year-old girl going to that gig, just having a lot of fun, just, just, just you know, uh, experiencing life, you know, living that YOLO life, right? Uh, mm-hmm. As I got older uh, and haven't been through the dark side of the music industry, and everything that is attached to it, I realized that that is not real life. And in fact, uh, mm. being in that kind of industry takes you to different types of, subhanAllah, dangerous uh, experiences. In my solo career, I knew that, I knew the, re- I knew the reality. I was kind of like, um, I was kind of like a robot, I think, towards the end of my career. I was kind of just going through with it. I was like, okay, let's do the next single. Let's try to make a hit. Um, but I know that this is not really something that I, I want to, to pursue the rest of my life because I know that, subhanAllah, it's not fulfilling my heart. I always believed that music w- would give me peace and give me that happiness, but it, it never did. It may be temporarily because mm. that's what it does. It's just a temporary feeling. A lot of artists, they get on stage just because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel yeah. like alive, like they, they become yeah. something else, you know? It's the chemicals, the endorphins that come out of your brain. It's like the way, same way people feel when they climb really large mountains or jump off a plane, and they just keep risking their life. Every yeah. Because t- you wonder, like, how are you risking your life? One day, you're not. It's not going to work out the way you hope. But it's this adrenaline rush. Yes, adrenaline um, rush. And like, it, it puts you into this, this euphoric feeling. It's like, and you just you're chasing it your whole life. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it's not. It's not something that. It's not something that can give you the kind of contentment that Allah can. In the past, I remember people would often describe when they lived a life away from the remembrance of Allah as being in a deep slumber. And when people are in a slumber, they can't hear, see, or be conscious of themselves or their actions. But their soul isn't necessarily dead. For others, the slumber for their souls can be sleep paralysis. You're awake, but nobody can hear you. Nobody sees you calling out for help. But just as they say, that death is a destroyer of pleasure, in the same breath, it is also the noble custodian in awakening our souls. And for Shazrina, it was no different. My brother passed away in 2007. Uh, and uh, he's my eldest brother. May Allah, you know, subhanAllah, I always, I, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, grant him gentle the firdaus and grant him a lot of ajr. Uh, and good deeds, right? Because every time I share his story, I pray that it will it will go back to him. It will go back to him because he is the reason. Uh, you know, Allah Allah made that happen, and and he is the reason, and that you know he, he woke me up. His death woke me up. Subhanallah. So I'm the youngest, and he's the eldest. So that there's a huge age diff- gap between us. But I, I I always remember him being like the nice brother. He's the nice brother, mm. not the not the annoying one. 
uh, you know, just saying siblings, right? Well, Allah, uh, yeah. I love them all. You know, I love them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he he'd always be nice to me. If somebody's bullying me, he'll he'll tell them to stop. I always remember mm. that. And um, he used to carry me a lot, and uh, we always eat together. Uh, we always like to eat together. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't say much because he doesn't talk much, but mm-hmm. he he he'd like to sit down and have a meal with me, and I, and I thought mm. that was really nice. So uh, he was born with a hole in the heart. So he he he's always been a very special baby, but because of the complication of the heart, that kind of as he grow, grew older, uh, his other organs also became uh, didn't function so well, basically. Mm. And so because of that uh, organ uh, failures, he he passed away at the age of forty. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. So um, when he passed away, it was a big wake up call. Uh, I felt like I had a ton of bricks just smashing into my face, like, like reality hits. This is life, you know. There is, there is death. Death is real. Um, and and I, you know, because he went away, I was like, so I, I started asking myself important questions, which I never asked. Like, okay, so what happens to us when we die? Where is he right mm. now? Because, because you know, um, remember, I I didn't know much about the dean. You know, I was really, I was really kind of like uh, sleepwalking throughout through life. I was like a zombie. I was, I was living a life without having a heart that is alive with Allah in it. Subhanallah. So, with my brother's passing, he woke me up, uh, and he got my family closer to each other. Um, and wow. you know, through him, I started to make. Uh, started to learn how how to make du'a again to Allah. I started to to learn a little bit more about Islam, and that was when mm-hmm. the journey of me, uh, you know, relearning the Deen in a very slow way began. But you know, looking looking back, you know, at that time, of course, in 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 that in that space, it, it was really difficult to to uh, understand why it happened and 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 just going through the feelings of grief. But looking back now, I'm I'm grateful to Allah. You know, I'm very grateful to Allah because it ignited iman in my heart. Um, and I and you know I make du'a. You know that he is in genital. He will be in genital firdaus. Uh, you know he yeah. was a very he was a very kind person. You know he he was a man of very few words. He prayed his five daily prayers. He did his. You know he was a good Muslim. Um, and uh, Subhanallah. You know he 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 brought us closer to Allah. May may Allah reward him for that. Subhanallah. Shazrina being the youngest in her crew and navigating the world of music alone, she fell into what she thought was fun at first, a temporary source of happiness that ended up being detrimental to her mind, body, and soul. And quitting, even with the support of her family and friends, felt near to impossible to do. And although the passing of Shazrina's brother was one of the first steps on her path back to Islam, her road to recovery was going to make her fight for it. You know, subhanAllah, being in the in the music industry for so long, so many years, you know, I've seen like um, how, and I've been through that as well, the whole, you know, being addicted to partying, being addicted to uh, just, subhanAllah, you know, toxic uh, people, toxic things that can destroy you. It, it started from wanting to have fun. You know, mm. you want to have fun, so you go out and you try different things, and then you keep doing it, and suddenly it becomes such a huge part of your life that you can't live without it. 
And it started out innocently like that. It wasn't like as if I had a problem to begin with. It was always just wanting to have fun, partying, alcohol, you know, smoking, all that kind of stuff. So once you get addicted to something, it's very difficult to kind of quit. And so when I went down that path, subhanallah, you know, a lot of my friends and my family could see what I was doing, what I was going through. And many times they they tried to help me, they tried to stop me, and mm. I I would give my mom such a huge heart attack. May Allah forgive me for all the times that I <laughs> made her worry. Subhanallah. And uh, you know they tried to to stop me from from getting into these things. And but you know me being a rebel, I, I just you know the more you say no, the more I'm going to do it. Right? It's, I don't know mm-hmm, psychology mm-hmm. maybe. But yeah. uh, one day I think I hit rock bottom. That was when I was uh, really at my lowest. I was uh, depressed. I was really not functioning very well. Um, and I remember, you know, my dad telling me, you know, he didn't say many words, but he was like, you know, I, you should know better. And I'm disappointed in you. And, you know, you better fix, fix, your, fix yourself. Mm. And that was all he said. And I was like, and, in, you know, in front of my entire family. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. subhanAllah. I better do something about my life. But really, you know, um, I, I, I tried my best to kind of get out of it. But what yeah. really kind of got me away from all of that, all, you know, from, 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 from that dark life, I think was definitely, um, of course, my brother's passing was one. But there was that one mm. moment, I think I was in my mid-20s, where I felt like I was literally going to die. I was alone in my room. It was just me. And I was just crying like crazy. I don't know what was going on. I felt like as if I was I wasn't gonna live anymore. I felt like as if I never, you know, I'm never ever gonna get married. I'm never gonna have children. I'm never gonna do anything. I was just really just out of it. And I think at that time, uh, I I didn't even know it myself that you know I I felt like like Allah was the one who saved me because I was so deep in it. I was so deep in this whole lifestyle, toxic lifestyle. That I didn't know how to get out, and I, 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 I was, I was crying for help. My, my heart was crying for help. And after that, I think Subhanallah, like I think my heart was alive just enough for, for Subhanallah, just, just to, the will to want to live, to keep on living. You know what I mean? Because when you're in depression, you just feel like the whole life is over. At that time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, Subhanallah. But I think you know, lo- Subhanallah, like looking back, this part of my story. Um, the addict, the addiction part, I think, is something that is, I think, quite powerful. I don't, yeah. really, I don't really share because sometimes I'm scared of sharing this, you know, mm-hmm. um, because of my family and my parents, and you know, I, I it's, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's me, it's not them. But Subhanallah, addiction is real, and it is, it is, ser- is. is life threatening. It is serious, and it can destroy a person completely. Nah, and nah, subhanallah nah. and I've known so many friends who have died through these kinds of addictions um, mm-hmm. you know may Allah protect you know protect them and, and guide them back um, I mean the friends mm-hmm. who are still doing it you know um, but you know what it is it's, it's the environment that you're in it's the people that you hang with the friends um, the industry when you're around people and, and environments that just kind of you know they're it's, it's just right in front of you it's, it's not mm. it's, it's difficult to to quit and coming out from there you know Allah saved me again and again you know there yeah. were there were times where I was like you know driving around uh, not knowing where I'm going uh, really lost 
SubhanAllah, looking back now from learning Quran and everything, I was really lost in those layers of darknesses and darknesses of clouds and the darknesses of oceans, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nur. You know, when you're, you're, just, you're, you're just stuck there and you can't get out. It's so heavy, you know? And, and, and that's, why, that's why I always like to talk about how I was, you know, really a walking zombie. It's just your body is just functioning, but your heart's not alive. You know, and, uh, and, yeah. and the source of life, you know, our source of oxygen is Allah, is Quran, is everything, is dhikr. But, you know, I really lived that depressed life. You know, a life without remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly is a depressed life. And I went through that, you know, looking, at, looking back now, that, that was exactly how I lived my life. Although people did not know. They see the Miznina, they see the, the artist, they see that. You know, mm-hmm. also a lot of the times people get into this addiction thing or, you know, they get, they get, you know, because of the creative part of it too. You know, I want to mm-hmm. get, I want to yeah. get creative. I want to get inspired. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to get myself, yeah. I'm going to go to this environment. You know, I'm going to meet with these mm-hmm. people. So there's a lot of, um, yeah. a lot of factors. Um, yeah. SubhanAllah. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I, I've, I've heard a lot of like of artists who left industry they'll say they they even encourage you to take these things to get creative inspiration they'll say hey you know you you know you're a little stiff a little serious you're a little (laughs) too clear-headed do you get what i'm saying you're a little too you know um and so in order to do a hit you uh, like a hit you you need to be out of your mind subhanallah Subhanallah. but you know when you think about them like why are they getting you out of your mind yeah who is it that's inspiring you who is it yeah what's entering you yeah. Right? What are you losing control of? Yeah. They need you to be out of your mind. Like it's if you think about it, there's something much larger and sinister going on mm. in the in the music industry. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I feel like it's an industry um, developed and governed by shaitan. Yep, subhanallah. I it's, believe it. It's a big agenda. It's it's a huge agenda a to agenda. misguide everybody uh, into into doing a lot of sin. And just losing themselves yeah. and forgetting Allah. Absolutely. Subhanallah. Yeah. I mean, it is. You cannot have the remembrance of Allah in the same heart as music. It's, impo- it's impossible. Mm-hmm. So when you listen to music and you're in it, what you really are doing is that you're in a space where you're not remembering of Allah. You're not remembering Allah. You can't mm-hmm. remember Allah. Mm-hmm. You, you won't remember Allah in that way. And so if you are away from the remembrance of Allah, what's the equation? Then you will, you're depressed, you're sad, and the proof for that in the Quran is is when Allah says, "Surely the hearts find rest in where in the remembrance of Allah." Mm. Your heart is not in rest. If it's not in rest, what are you? You're sad. You're depressed. You're confused, right? And, and no matter how long you strand it, you will find yourself in the same position. Mm-hmm. But only the Qur'an can take you from the darkness into the light. Mm, and only Allah's remembrance can your heart finally be at peace. And it's just, it's clear. When you know Allah's kalam and you know his book, he tells you these things. Mm. You know, he, he tells you the keys and he tells you, oh, I'll tell you what you're going to experience away from me. This is what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Whether it takes you 15, 20 years, you're going to find out, you know. And guess what? This is how beautiful Allah Taala is. And when you come out of it, and Allah, I give you tawfiq, Allah says, I give you, you know, hidayah, guidance, and you come out of it. Allah SWT didn't do that, like, because, you know, of who you are. He did it because of who he is. Mm, subhanAllah. You know? 
So it's like, it, it makes you love Allah in a way that you've never loved anything before. Shazrita felt as though she was not herself or even in her body anymore. When performing at the biggest of stages and fulfilling the dreams she held since she was a child, her heart still was not at peace nor at ease. She knew she had to leave the industry, an industry which encouraged all the things that made her feel low and depressed. Matter of fact, something else was brewing deep down within her, telling her to look elsewhere, to look for another path. The truth is, we're all always looking for signs. We are always asking for God to speak to us. Well, those signs are all around us. I mean, just look around. As Allah also mentioned in the Quran, and I quote, We will show them our signs in the universe and in their own selves until it becomes a manifest to them that this Quran is the truth. Allah is always speaking in a metaphorical sense to us. The question is whether we're listening. But sometimes it's too hard to accept the truth, even when it's glaring us in the face. Sometimes it can feel too scary to deal with them head on. But Shazrina was different. Instead of burying those feelings, she listened. One day, I was, I think it was MTV World Stage, and I was performing, and I can remember the crowd was going crazy in front of me. I was interacting with them. I was doing my thing. I was singing. I was dancing. And I had the spotlight on me. Everything else was pretty dark. Because you know when the spotlight's on you, when you're looking out, you can't really see people. It's dark. Mm-mm. While I was moving, I was already in my heart thinking, I was feeling, thinking to myself, this is not me. Like, I'm not feeling mm. this. What, what am I doing? What, why am I doing mm-hmm. this? You know, it was like an like a aha moment for me. That really like, made me feel like, you know what, it's time for me to move on. It's time for me to quit. Um, and I needed to find a reason to, because sometimes you get, you get so used to that kind of um, lifestyle, to that career, it's hard to quit. It's really difficult mm-hmm. to quit. But after that show, I was like, okay, I know I'm missing something. I know I, I have to look for that one thing that I'm missing. And at that time, people didn't know that I was praying. I was searching. You know, I was trying mm. my best to pray five times a day, even though I, I wasn't. And, and at that time, I wasn't wearing the hijab yet. But I know I was looking for uh, some kind of spiritual, uh, you know, f- enlightenment or spiritual fulfillment. And uh, uh, the next aha moment was when my mother asked me to go for Hajj uh, in 2013, um, after that show. Wow. And immediately I said yes. You know, I said yes, because maybe this is it. I think, I think this is my calling. You know, I felt it in my heart. You know, Allah planted that, you know, that... that desire. That, the desire. That he opened mm-hmm. up my heart to, to want to search for him. Subhanallah. Mm-hmm. He gave me that tawfiq. And, mm-hmm. and, and then through my mother, uh, the invitation to, to go to his house, subhanallah, and to fulfill that with my mother. And at that time, my, my ex-husband and my aunties and my sister as well. So that opportunity, subhanAllah, that whole experience was, was, was something that completely transformed me, I think, subhanAllah. It was really the, the pinnacle of my uh, spiritual hijra, you know, the pinnacle of, mm-hmm. of my change and, and me leaving mm-hmm. the music industry. Wow, subhanAllah. So tell me about, was that the first time you ever went to Allah's house? Uh, no, I've been for Umrah a few times before that. Uh, mm-hmm. However, I was still kind of, I was kind of playing around still. I wasn't really serious. It didn't really change me mm-hmm. that much. 
Mm-hmm. But before going to Hajj, I I took up a quick Tajwi class because at 33 mm-hmm. years old, I had forgotten how to read the Quran. And for me, that was a big deal. I mean, subhanAllah, I mean, how can I go to Hajj with not even knowing how to read Alif Bata? Mm-hmm. And uh, subhanAllah, for, for me going there, I, I made an intention. I said, Ya Allah, I want to go to Hajj and I, and I want to, you know, come back a different person. I don't know what's going to happen there. I, I, I don't know what to expect, but I'm just going to go. I'm just going to follow and just go. And when I was there, I couldn't really read much. I, I could re- read a little bit, but all I knew was the Al-Fatiha. And I made it a mission of mine to understand what Al-Fatiha means. I've memorized it through my childhood, but I didn't really understand it. So the word for word of it. And so, so when I was there, I did that. And um, uh, I tried to understand uh, the, the three last surahs of the Quran as well, because it's something I memorized. And what really, subhanAllah, moved me or moved my heart to humble itself was the day of Arafah. The day of Arafah was, subhanAllah, such a powerful day. You can imagine beautiful sunset. It's, it's orange. You've got all different types of hues of, of, of orange and red and yellow. And it's hot. And everyone around me is making tawbah. Everyone is making dua. Everyone's raising their hands up to the sky, asking Allah to forgive them. They're crying, you know, and I'm looking around and I'm like, subhanAllah, you look at all these people. They're all wearing ihram. You know, there's just so many Muslims from all over the world, different backgrounds, different experiences, the rich, the poor, black, white, brown, like all colors. And, and, I, and, and I remember telling myself, like, I want to cry too. I want to cry too. And subhanAllah, I, I feel like when I was in uh, Hajj, I observed a lot. I didn't know much. I didn't know much at all. <laughs> I didn't even know how to read the Quran. Yeah. But, but I knew I, I wanted to get closer to Allah. So, so when I saw people crying, I was like, Ya Allah, I want to cry too. I, 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 want to, I want to change for you. And I want to let go of all these, you know, I want to let go of my ego. I want to let go of my ego, what's been holding me back from your love and from getting closer to you. And I, you know, I, I knew for sure I had a big ego problem, especially coming from the music industry. It's always been about, oh, look at me. I'm number one. I'm the mm-hmm. best. That's, that's how it mm-hmm. is. That's what we rap about, right? SubhanAllah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and why is it that I could not wear the hijab? Oh, you know, because of my ego, because I want to be beautiful, because I want people to see me. It's always been, it's always been about pleasing people. And it's always been about pleasing my own desires and nafs. You know, what do people want? Okay, you want me to wear this? Okay, it makes me look sexy. I'll wear that for you. You know, oh, you want me to do this kind of song? That's going to be a hit? All right, let me do that for you. Oh, you want me to move mm. like this? Is that going to look good on camera? All right, let me do that for you. It's always been about pleasing other people. And for once in my life, I was like, I don't want to do this for people no more. I don't want to do this for people no more. I don't want to do this for me no more. I want to do it for you, Ya Allah. And I want to be mm-hmm. a Muslim. When, before my Hajj, I had a non-Muslim friend come up to me and say, Nina, are you Muslim? And that, that hit me. Because I was like, of course I'm Muslim. How can you not think I'm not Muslim? 
And then I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, am I, am I acting like a Muslim or am I not? SubhanAllah. So, so that, that whole, you know, Arafah experience broke me down and I needed to break. I needed to break that, that ego and I needed to, sh to shed off these layers, of that, those layers of ego just, just kind of blocking me from Allah. And ever since then, I made the intention to want to learn the deen. To learn the deen because I had wasted so much of my life, you know, 33 years old, I missed out on learning about the deen and, and, and realizing that, you know what, we don't know what even, we don't even know how long we're going to live. Tomorrow's not even promised. So how much time do I have left to, to relearn what I had missed? You know, if I had, subhanAllah, but you know what, no ifs, because that's from shaitan. Mm -hmm. That's from shaitan. Everything is planned by Allah just as He sees fit and, and, and He is the best of planners and most perfect in everything. So the timing of everything is, is just as it should be, subhanAllah. So from Hajj, from that day of Arafah, and I remember there was this one time, because prior to that I was not wearing hijab. There was this one time at the hotel, uh, I think my aunt's son uh, wanted to, to grab something from my room, uh, you know, to, to pass in something. And I forgot to wear my hijab. So I walked mm -hmm. out the room without the hijab on and I saw him. And then I, I suddenly felt, I felt naked for the first time yeah, ever. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> I felt, yeah. I felt like, yeah, I felt naked. I was like, oh, subhanAllah, you, you can see me without my hijab. And mm -hmm. I ran into the room and I was like, okay, I, okay, I think it's time. It's time. It's yeah. time for me to keep it on. Alhamdulillah. So ever since then, he, he's never seen me without a hijab. Alhamdulillah. Wow. That, it's like, you know, what, that's the moment of Iman. Yeah. You know, faith is like, it starts to show in your, in your limbs, you know, because you lived one way. Because I know what that feels like. I wasn't a person that was practicing my faith either. But then you remember the moment where you're like, oh, I'm not who I used to be anymore. Mm. You know, things feel uncomfortable. You know, I'm more inclined to other things that I am other. I think about things more, you know. And then you, if you take a moment to look back, you're like, oh, my God, I've, I'm changing. Mm. I am. It's happening. Yes. You know, and it's probably the most beautiful thing to, to realize when you are. And it's even more beautiful, as my mom always says, it was, it was beautiful to witness you change before my eyes. Mm. You know, it, it was a sign from Allah SWT to me too. Somebody who was living one way is coming back and doing another. is like truly remarkable. It reminds me again, we're, we're in Tarawih right now, we're, we're reading uh, different ayahs, and there's, uh, I think it's Surah Ibrahim, where Allah talks about, uh, is it Ibrahim or Yusuf, where Allah says, you know, who, who puts people into darkness, into the light? But him, you know, who does that? Like, mm. you know, it's only Allah that brings people out of the darkness into the light, you know? But sometimes we have to recognize when we're in darkness. Mm. SubhanAllah. When are we in it, right? Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think they're not in darkness, you know? Yeah. But you will never know until you're in light. Yes, like, SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. You look back and you look back like, I was in darkness the whole time. Shazrita comes back from Hatch renewed and hopeful, but with lots of burning questions. But before she could pursue and explore her deen, she first needed to permanently let go of her music career for good. As Allah said, and I quote, You will never give up a thing for the sake of Allah, but then Allah replaced it for you with something that is better for you than it. And boy, did Allah give her something better. Coming back, I was supposed to launch uh, 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 my concert DVD, and I thought to myself, you know what? I, you know, I just finished Hajj. Really? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna launch it. 
And I was like, this is, it, it doesn't fit right. Like, uh, you know, yeah. I'm wearing hijab and this is, it just doesn't feel right. You know, the iman has already been planted in my heart. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. the taqwa is talking to me, right? Taqwa, the taqwa is like, it's, you know, it's telling me like, this is not right. So I called my manager. I was like, hey, you know, um, I think uh, I, I want to quit the music industry and I want to, I want to just stop everything. Can we just stop everything now? <laughs> was that hard? Nina, Nina, wasn't that hard though? To, to something you were doing for so many years that you fought to today until you were 30, okay? That you can't forget how to just decide. Wasn't that kind of like, were you? did you feel like, oh, am I making the wrong decision? Or no. Were you firm? You're like, nah, I know, I'm I, out. I was, I was firm. I was firm. I was like, look, I want to quit now. Can we just do it, please? I, I don't want to do this anymore. Just like stop the DVDs, you know, stop printing. And alhamdulillah, she was, <laughs> she's like, you know what, Nina? I, I, I kind of thought you would do this. And I was like, really? What? She, she had a feeling that I was going to do it. So, so she said, yeah, you know, it's up to you. you know, you're a grown woman. This is your life. You can do what you want to do. If this is you, what you feel is right, then, then I'm, I'm okay with it. So I was like, great. So I did that. I, I quit. I quit everything. I stopped everything. Uh, for two weeks, I didn't do much. I just kind of just, you know, stayed uh, at home and just with a selected few friends and family. And that was it. Like, I didn't want to go out. I didn't even post on social media. I didn't do anything. And I met up with a sister who was a Quran teacher at that time. And I, ha- I had so many questions to ask her. I was like, okay, so now that I'm back, uh, what should I do? And she's like, okay, well, if you want, I can teach you Quran to Tajweed. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do Tajweed. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, you know, Shaitan puts like these thoughts in your head. And I'm like, oh, what if I did like a hip hop, you know, like a hip hop, like Islamic album? What do you think? And she's, yeah, like, yeah. she's like, Nina, no. I'm like, why not? <laughs> no, uh, isn't it, is it, you know? So I had all these questions. Is, is music halal? I mean, yeah. like, is it haram? What is, what is halal? What is haram? What, what can I do? What I can't do? And then there mm-hmm. was one uh, Islamic conference that came to Malaysia. A, it was an Islamic retreat called, um, heart, it was called Heart Therapy. And mm-hmm. we had a few international scholars come in, like uh, Saad Taslim, Shita Taslim, uh, Kamal Al-Maki, and a few, mm. a, a few, a, a few other sheikhs from Al Maghrib, basically, and Mashal, the OGs, the, the OGs, o- yeah, the OGs, because this was still 2013, like fresh out of like, out mm-hmm. of Hajj, and I read Sheikh uh, Saad Taslim's uh, bio, and I found out that he used to be a punk rocker. He used to yes, be he did, uh, in, yeah. in a he, <laughs> he used to be in a rock band, and then look yeah. at him, he's a sheikh. So I was like, oh, yeah, so he should have the answers that I'm looking for. So I went yeah. because I wanted to talk to him. And yeah. uh, I was just blown away by, by the knowledge that was, was coming to me. I was like, every, every class, every teacher was just, I was just like, whoa, subhanAllah. It was just so amazing, this knowledge. I was just so fascinated by what I was learning. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was just so, I was on that iman high and I was writing mm. my notes like crazy. I was like writing really fast and just super you know energized and excited at every class and when i got when i got to speak to him and you know he he you know i asked him about music i asked him you know is this is it a good idea should i do an album you know and, and he gave me his answers and and i understood i understood what i had to do mm-hmm, but what mm-hmm. what really helped me with my with my learning is alhuda i, I mean big shout out mm-hmm. to alhuda Oh my God, what was it like studying the Quran the way that you uh, did? Sub- like, how, what was it like? It must have been life-changing. Let me just hear oh, it. I want to hear it from you. Yes, it's subhanAllah life-changing. I, I, I think the way that the teachers 
the teachers from Alhuda teach, it really is, is I don't know, to me, it reaches my heart. Every mm-hmm. class, every tafsir class, like even Ustazah Tainia, before I even joined TQ, I used to listen to the, the, her, her tafsir classes on, on, um, on the app. It, it really is life-changing because, I, you know, I got to uh, learn what Allah is saying word for word. For me, that, mm-hmm. that was just the biggest thing, like, like being able to stand in Taraweh prayers and recognizing mm-hmm. words in which the imam is, is, you know, is, is saying, you know, the, the, the words mm-hmm. of Quran, and kind of just knowing like, okay, I know what this is about. Oh, this is, this mm-hmm. is about Jannah. This is about, you know, uh, the stories of the prophets. or Subhanallah. Yeah. It, it, and, and it changed like everything that I did in my life. Everything. My, my, my work, yeah. uh, the way that I interact with my family, how I dealt with my, um, my difficulties in life, how I dealt with my divorce, um, how, how I did everything. SubhanAllah, Al-Huda just became my life. Doing the, the, the course for four years, I, I really, when I look back now, I'm like, how did I even do that? How? And yes, it's all from Allah. Allah puts the barakah in your time. When, when, we, when we make time with the Quran, it's, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that gives you the strength, that gives us the, the tawfiq and the energy to be able to do it and, uh, and, and, and you know, stay istiqamah with it, you know, steadfast with it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I'm still with Ahuda now though. Um, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, but, but uh, slightly different role. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, to me, Al-Huda was a way in which I got to know my, my Rabb better and I got to know what he wants me to do in my life and, and how mm. to, to respond to everything that happens to me in my life. Without Al-Huda, without, without having to learn the Quran the way that I did with Al-Huda, I, I wouldn't know where I would be right now. SubhanAllah. Mm. You know, it reminds me, it takes me back <laughs> to... When you said in Arafah, when you asked Allah, oh Allah, I want to cry the way. You know, what they're crying is because of their knowing. Mm. They're knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And what you're asking Allah essentially is, I want to know you the way they know you, right? Um, and that's why. And, and, and then a few years later, you graduate and now you know him. You know, it's so crazy. Going, praying a salah and not understanding what's being talked about. And the day that you can, subhanAllah, is the most flabbergasting <laughs> Salah is not the same like you just it's no. like it's like when it's like how you read a book and it's like you're standing and for the first time because well like can I tell you you know the most heartful like I remember a moment that really hurt was like you know and it's similar to your Arafat experience when I was in Salah and somebody was crying I talked about my welfare episode and I didn't know why he was crying mm. I felt so left out mm. you know it's like man I don't even know Allah I don't even know what he's saying right now and all these people have knowledge and I do not. What is that? It, it's just this jarring understanding that you're, you're in trouble. Like, you just don't know anything. It just feels so isolating. If we already feel isolated, you feel super isolated. Mm. Um, and then somehow you find the will to keep showing up. And then you start to know him. And then Salah just starts to transform. Because before that, when you don't know, you're just praying, but you, you're, you are showing up. SubhanAllah. And that's, those moments still mean something to Allah. Mm-hmm. You know, still showing up. Because imagine someone showing up to prayer and they don't know exactly what the prayer is. Imagine. they Still showing up. They're dedicated. You know, and, and, and what they're essentially looking for is Allah's guidance. But I think those things are beautiful too. You know, to show up even when you didn't know. Mm, and then Allah Sallallahu takes you to this beautiful moment when you do know. And then now prayer looks different. SubhanAllah. Now prayer means different. It's like you understand a lot if you know what's going on, you're more present. Because everyone says, oh, like, what's the recipe for kushur? 
You know, like, how do I remain? And Kushro, I said, you need to understand what's being said. Mm. <laughs> SubhanAllah, I, I'm speechless sometimes. I feel, SubhanAllah, like, how, how, how blessed it is to, to, to get this opportunity to do so, to, to understand. And, 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 you know, Allah is, is, SubhanAllah, so kind and so merciful to, to give us that, that blessing and opportunity. Uh, and sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm not, am I grateful for this, for this blessing? You know, am I grateful enough for this blessing? And I'm scared sometimes of losing it. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's something that we need to keep practicing. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, it's like anything else. If you don't practice, if you don't keep doing it, if you don't keep reflecting, if you don't keep learning, you know, it could go. May Allah protect us from, from losing any of the knowledge, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I've always, you know, with Alhuda, you know, it, it, one thing that I take from the course is, is making sure that the, whatever I learn from Alhuda, I want to I give it back to people. I want to I wanna share that with people. And, and because of Alhuda, Alhamdulillah, I launched my, my Islamic app. I don't know if you know that, but I have an app. Yes, Qalbi. I, Qalbi. I, I stalked your whole life. Of course oh, I okay. know. Uh, of <laughs> so, course I know. Uh, so the app was inspired, uh, of course, from being uh, m- from my experience from Alhuda. Uh, there, there's a class called Khusnul Khuluk, right? It talks about the, uh, the disease of the heart and it talks about, you know, a, a heart that is sound. And you know, one of the one one of the things that I, I take with me from Ahuda is the importance of, and of course in the Quran, the importance of the heart. Subhanallah. At the end of the day, we want to go to Allah with a with a heart that is sound, that is pure, and Allah will look at our hearts and He will look at our intentions and our actions, and that's where we need to focus on. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? We live in such a, a fast-paced life; everything is instant. Everything is, you know, we want it now. And sometimes we, we get so caught up in this dunya, we, we forget about the important things, you know, in life, which is, of course, the heart, the Quran. And we become desensitized. You know, our heart becomes really rusted, really hard. So I thought, you know, I want to have an app that, inshallah, can help the Muslim lifestyle, give reminders, notifications, you know, oh, bring you back to the Quran um, in a tech way, in a cool way, you know, for especially the youth who maybe, you know, for them to open up like a Quran book might be hard or difficult or mm-hmm. to go into a, a, mm-hmm. a full-on lecture is difficult, but they can, you know, do it on the app. So we bring them back to the Quran. We have the du'as there. We have um, videos there from, from different lectures, different scholars, different teachers. Um, we have all kinds of features to kind of, inshallah, ignite the heart with iman again and again and again through these different reminders. So that, that's, that's the whole wow. thing about Qalbi, my heart, because it's your heart that matters at the end of the yeah, day. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Wow. Alhamdulillah. I'm just enamored. I'm shocked that you. It's just Subhanallah, Wallahi. I'm just first of all, I'm I'm inspired by your life. Alhamdulillah. You know, alhamdulillah. Um, it's all from Allah. Because yeah, Wallahi. Because there's 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 so many boundaries you overcame that I think chokes people up. For example, the fact that you learned the Quran at a later age. You know, a lot of people say I'm too old to do it. I'm 30-something. I can't learn the kalam of Allah. It's, my time has passed. And they get choked up about that, you know? And uh, and this was why I really loved Al-Hudda because they're all about, it doesn't matter how old you are. My class, the classmate I'm sitting beside is a, a mother with six kids and then there's a, a, a woman who in her 60s in our class, Mashallah. you know? And, and it really just says, like there's no, there's no age when it comes to learning the kalam of Allah, which I love. That's their whole thing. Um, but I know a lot of girls who just don't go back. Because it's like, I should have learned it at 14. I should have learned it at 16. Um, but, you know, subhanAllah, one of the shiqs I really love for the sake of Allah, Shiq Mutasim Al-Hamidi from Toronto, he said, 
your relationship with the Quran is a reflection of your relationship with Allah. Mm. If your relationship with the Quran is far, then what do you think your relationship with Allah is? Mm. I don't care what you're doing, you know? Mm. I'm to take it very seriously, you know? And so... And then when I know when I hear that, and then I see women who just give up because they're too they're they're older now. It's really devastating because you have to have a relationship with the Quran. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's beyond age. You can't limit it. You know mm. this is the way that you understand Allah. This is the way that Allah speaks to you. This is how your your blueprint. This is your navigation. Mm. Today, how are you gonna get to from here to another country without GPS? You know what I'm saying? Imagine it's deciding to turn off your GPS and say, "Oh, I'm, I'll Bismillah, I'll get there." Huh? It makes no sense, logical sense. You know and um, seeing it that way, you know, um, and hearing you like, you know, learn that at, at, at an age where people might think, oh, it's too late. And then to turn around your life and get out of a really difficult place um, and then to study your dean and then to graduate and then to start an app. Alhamdulillah. Like your trajectory is truly, it's like, it's one of those, you're, you're kind of one of those people people have to know. It's like how we know about the companions. You know, we know about who they were before. You know, and who they are now and mm-hmm. who they are when they passed. And they were of the best, but they also had really difficult pasts. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But that, that tells you only about Allah SWT most. After meeting her husband through collaborating on a song, Shazmina had been married to him for 11 long years. During this time, many kept asking her, why have you had any children yet? Where are they? What's the problem? But after trying for multiple years, Shazrina decided to take a big leap by imagining a different kind of family for herself. In, in the beginning, I wasn't keen on adopting because, um, you, we, you know, we always want to have our own child, like from us, you know. Mm, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, after 11 years of trying, I was like, okay, so maybe we could, we could, you know, visit this idea of adopting. You know, alhamdulillah, at that time I was still learning at Al-Huda. And uh, I had asked my teacher's advice and, you know, about adoption. How does it work? Um, you know, uh, can I actually call this, this, um, this baby my son? Is he really my son? So we know that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're not the real biological mother mm-hmm. or biological father. Mm-hmm. But we can be mm-hmm. someone who caretakes for this, this child, who cares for this child. And they can call this mom or dad. And that's, not, that's not an issue. You know, it's not a problem. So I made a lot of du'a to Allah. I made, and, and the du'a that I said a lot was Musa's, Ali Salam's du'a. Rabbi Shrahli Sadri. Ya Allah, expand my chest and my heart so that I can have, so that I can f- have more love to love this child for your sake. You know, because to, to love, subhanAllah, to love a child that's not from you is, is sadly, is, is different. It's not different, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not easy to get to that space. And mm-hmm. I, I had to make a lot of du'a. You know, Allah, put, you know, expand my heart. Let there be love for other children in my heart, not, not just my own child. Because, like, you know, we have desires. And, I, you know, we want to have our own baby. We try, we mm-hmm. try, we try. But alhamdulillah, um, I, I, I actually met a few. There were a few other babies that were available to adopt. Um, but at that time, when I held them in my arms, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Subhanallah. I looked at the baby, you know, I looked at the baby. She was, she was only like two, two days old. And I was like, no, I'm not ready. Mm. I'm not ready. Yeah. But the process took me about uh, almost a year to kind of yeah. get myself emotionally ready, physically ready to breastfeed because I had to induce the, the milk. So I had to start taking pills like months ahead. 
And then, alhamdulillah, I have a friend of mine who, who works very closely with, uh, with single moms and you know, uh, women who, who, who want to abort, uh, women who throw away babies. You know, there's a lot of this happening in Malaysia. So there's this one sister, I, I met the mother. In the beginning, she wanted to, uh, she wanted to uh, abort the child. But my friend, uh, alhamdulillah, managed to persuade her not to and said that, mm -hmm. she, look, I'm going to go find you uh, somebody who, who will take care of your child for you, okay? So then she called me. And so she's like, hey, Nina, do you want to meet this mom? She's, uh, she, you know, she's, four, five, she's four months pregnant. Do you want to meet her? I'm like, yeah, sure, let's meet her. Met her. She's such a nice girl. You know, she's very young. She, you know, and she's, she's like, I, I can't take care of this child. Please take care of him for me. So I was like, okay. So she gave me permission. She's like, I, I give him permission. From there, you know, uh, Musa came into my life when he was two days old. Wow. And I'm still in contact with the bio mom. So I think with her, you know, Allah planned it in such a way that I was able to meet her, talk to her, you know, be in contact with her throughout her entire pregnancy, you know, be there with mm. her when she needed me. Um, through her, you know, difficulties that she was going through, you know, personally. Um, and then when she gave birth, you know, uh, you know, she, I wanted to be there with her, but she was like, no, can I have my sister? I was like, okay. The next day, you know, um, subhanAllah, I, it was very emotional for her to let go of Musa. And it was very emotional mm. for me to, to take Musa from her. It's not easy, a mother, to let mm. go of her baby. That's why I called him Musa. Because, you know, Musa salam, has two mothers. Both mothers are righteous women. And both mothers, he was good to and they were good to him. And I believe, inshallah, that when Musa grows up and he can understand, I want to share with him the story of Musa salam, the beautiful story of our Prophet Musa salam, and how, subhanAllah, both his mothers brought him up to be such a wonderful, wonderful Prophet. Allahu Akbar. Um, and so that he won't feel that it's not normal, it's abnormal to have two moms. It's normal. It's okay. Our prophets had two moms. You know, we have so many people who adopt nowadays who are in contact with bi biolo the biological parents, who get along, you know, for the sake of the child. Uh, sorry, I'm so, gonna cry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Subhanallah. <laughs> Oh, that's so beautiful. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Yeah, that's actually, sorry. <laughs> there was that, that is like, that is truly, I didn't even know your reason. I was going to ask you, but I, I, I feel that Musa, we all sometimes make him righteous. He's, I mean, how could he go wrong when, when he has people who think like that? Who tell him about his life like that, you know? Um, there's a lot of people, a lot of children out here who feel alone and, and, and they don't understand why things are different for them. But somehow you made it very special because I would love to have life, my life similar to Mufa, uh, the Prophet Musa Ali Sada. Who wouldn't? The Prophet Musa. Yes. Who's the Prophet Musa? You know? And he's um, the most mentioned Prophet in the Quran, right? Subhanallah. And it's just, it's truly, what a beautiful way. What a beautiful way to, to raise a child and to explain situation by relating it to the, pro his, the um the prophets i just i'm so touched by that um makes me want to adopt it yes <laughs> yes and, and practice and practice because that is truly as <laughs> truly remarkable because you're right musa had two moms she had he had you know? two moms, and, yes. and one the first mom had to give him up for for his safety 
you know and yes and she didn't you know that was the hardest thing she ever did but she did that for a lot's sake yes and um and then he met asia and you know she raised him so upright and and obviously asia we know her story oh it's just it's truly it's truly beautiful well it's I'm very, very touched no, by that. No, alhamdulillah. I love that. I love that so much. Insha- inshallah, you never know. You know, adopting a child is, subhanAllah, a beautiful thing. And there's so many babies out there that need love and care. Yeah. You know? It, it is true. There there needs to be more Asiyas. And, you know, with his mother, there needs to be more of them. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. I want to ask you a question about something because I, I didn't get to ask you this. Can you tell me about what... Because I've learned a lot about recovery. Mm-hmm. Recovery is very hard, mm-hmm. right? How did you recover from your day? Was that really hard? Like, yeah. was that a very difficult journey? Some people won't get out of addiction because they're afraid of recovery. Yeah. Right? Yeah. People run away from recovery because yeah. recovery is hard. It's, it's, it's so hard. It's probably harder than being addicted. Yeah. I, I didn't go to any kind of institution for, you know, for recovery, but I recovered at home. I was homebound for, for a while, and my, my, my family took care of me. There, there were days when I was recovering where I couldn't really do much. I was just lying in bed. Uh, I was sick. I was very sick. I was tired. You know, I couldn't do much. Uh, so, and it's tiring to be in that kind of state because you, you always want to do something, right? You want to do something mm-hmm. fun or whatever. But, you, you know, so there were, there were days in which I was very, very tired, um, but those those were just a few days. After a while, uh, I got my energy back, and I started. I, and I was a much. I was much more uh, healthy. I was. I was more. I had more clarity. I had more uh, strength. Uh, but the mm-hmm. initial few days of just trying to recover was difficult. But then uh, after a year, uh, I got back into it. And what really helped me get off, um, you know, re- recover properly was when I moved out of my family house. And I moved mm-hmm. in with a good friend of mine who was a really good influence on me. You know, I think, I think being independent taught me to be responsible because I, I feel like, you know, when I was living in my, my family's house, I was, you know, the, the young, I was the youngest child. So I was, you know, everything's easy. Mm-hmm. So I needed to get out. I needed to experience life um, as an, an individual, you know, working mm-hmm. and having responsibilities, you know, cooking my own dinners and doing this and doing that by myself, paying my rent, everything. And I think mm-hmm. through, through this life experiences, it kind of helped, uh, you know, get me off those things. And it was gradual, you know, subhanAllah. What kept you going? What, what was it that, like, what was something that kept you going? I, I, had, a, I had an intention to be a good human being. I wanted to be a good mm. person. I wanted to be a better daughter for my parents. I wanted to be a better friend for my friends. And I wanted to take care of my body. I wanted to take care of me. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I can't live like this anymore. I'm just, I've just been damaging myself. I've been just hurting myself and the people around me. And it's, it's just not right anymore. So, so I, I was on a mission to be healthy. And that's how I think health was a big factor. Um, that's what helped me kind of just move on. Uh, and and I and you know letting go of also you know um, friends who were not good for me you know because mm-hmm. it was you know friends are a huge deal because you are who your friends are. So, but again, recovery takes time, and I think recovery you know uh, the person who's recovering what like for me you have to have a really strong like intention like determination it has to be mm-hmm. a reason 
Uh, if not, th- there's it's so easy to fall back because of the body. The body's uh-huh. calling, you know? SubhanAllah. Yeah. Um, but Alhamdulillah, I think also, you know, faith plays a huge part in it too, you know? Mm. Um, of course, Allah is the one who helped me heal. He's Al-Jabbar. He's the one who, who you know, puts, you know, broken pieces back together again. He's the mm-hmm. one, he's Ashafi, he, he, he's the one who heals. Um, I think, you know, without me knowing it, like, like consciously, I think I subconsciously or, or in my heart, deep in my heart, he, I, I was already calling out to him in those dark moments. Mm-hmm. But those dark moments mm-hmm. of when I was just really down, um, I was crying, although I didn't say Allah, Allah, but I think my heart was speaking to Allah. Allah knows Allah. what's in our hearts. We don't. Yeah, he does. We, we, yeah. we get confused. We don't know. Our, our heart is fu'ad. You know, our heart is turning. It's, mm. it's emotional. It's mm-hmm. here and there. Sometimes we have no mm-hmm. idea, like, what am I feeling right now? I need to do istikara. But mm-hmm. Allah, Allah knows. Allah knows what's in there. And he will give you, like, uh, exactly what you said before. He'll give you what you need. Exactly what you need at the right time. And, and, and that was Allah. it. SubhanAllah. It reminds me of actually Sheikh Mufti Munir. I love my Sheikh. Sheikh Mufti Munir, Muhammad Munir, he lives in Jamaica, New York. Um, and he does this famous thing called Hadith Disciple Q&A. And I'll never forget, he gave it advice to somebody that had addiction. Okay? Mm-hmm. And he said, what are you addicted to? This is straightforward. What are you addicted to? He said, I'm addicted to, I forget what the drug was. You addicted to something. He's like, okay, start smoking weed. Yeah, go for something lesser. Said, so, and, uh, yeah, and I looked at him, I said, What? Shaq was telling him to t- <laughs> I was so confused. And then he goes, and when you're and when you're when you're over there, then go to cigarettes. And then when you're done, when you're at cigarettes, then cut it off. You know? And I never heard that Nasiha before in my life. Oh, super. But it was practical. Subhanallah. It was practical. He was thinking from a practical sense. He's like, okay, you can't tell like you can't tell people to go cold turkey. You're gonna set them off a failure before they, they even Imagine success, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes some people need to do it in degrees. Subhanallah. I, I just never heard that in the Sihab before. There's so much life. truth oh, to it. You, you know like how you're explaining that process of, of, of um, uh, healing, right? Of getting off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How you explained it was, was how I did it. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't know how to say it. But you know, like for example, like I, I used to be a chain smoker, right? For example, this is one of the mm-hmm. things that I used mm-hmm. to do. Chain smoking for 15 years. How did I quit? Mm-hmm. I did it gradually. So instead of, mm-hmm. I used to smoke everywhere, everywhere, in the house, in the car, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. after eating. So I would make rules for myself. Okay, in the house, no more smoking. In the mm-hmm. car, instead of smoking like five cigarettes, maybe you, you smoke just one cigarette. Mm-hmm. And then you cut it down to the point where you don't buy cigarettes no more. You just, you just you know, take it off your friend. You, you, know, you, know, you bum it off your friend. And then when that gets really annoying, wow. you just stop. <laughs> yeah I'm telling you yeah there's so much it wisdom to, to it yeah I mean look at our religion did our religion come down all at once no gradually it came a course of how a course yes. of how many years because Allah Sata knows us he knows us there's there's hikmah in degrees yes in the way that we give it. obviously you know so probably you have to learn that knowledge that's wisdom mm-hmm. right that's wisdom you learn over time that's why I, I didn't know that the earlier years about overzealous years about like what it means to tell to to learn to give advice and, and the right advice is I just said listen, let me listen to people giving the shilks giving the see how what do they sound like mm. what do they actually say you know um, what are their reasons for it? Like, I remember listening to another Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Musa Khan, where he told his sister, his sister came to his office, we were all there, and she said, I have a hard time wearing hijab. And then he said to her, 
then don't. He's like, what's your salah like? And she says, I pray, you know, here, there. He goes, pray all five for a few, like, uh, uh, consistently on time for a few months, then come back to me. Mm. She came back to him with a hijab. MashaAllah. And then when they asked her, he, he, he said to her, why, why did you wear a hijab? He said, it just didn't make sense. I was praying five to ten times a day with a hijab. It just, it became annoying. I said, why not just keep it on? I'm praying <laughs> five times a day. She's like, it just didn't logically make sense taking it out of a backpack because it just, it would just delay my day. Mm. But I just remember looking at it like, Wow, that's hikmah. Yes. Like I, Mashallah. I learned. Oh, I need to be quiet. I learned. I said, I need to be nice. I need to be quiet. I don't know anything. They know what they're talking about. Allah but Subhanallah, you're absolutely right. Everything is in degrees, and uh, and you and if you tell somebody to cut cold turkey, you might be actually causing more harm. Yes, you, know, you so might true. actually be inspiring. Maybe you might be telling somebody to telling. Maybe the Shaitan's telling them, Yo, you can't do it. Give up. This is not for you. Mm. Maybe this religion isn't for you. You know, mm. there isn't there isn't mercy in this. There's no space for you to actually recover because look what they're asking of you. It's impossible. Subhanallah, subhanallah. You know, and so we got to be careful in this nasiha as we give to people because you don't know it could be more harmful. You know, yes. and, 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 and how do you protect yourself from that? Seek knowledge. Mm. Seek knowledge. Seek knowledge first. You know what I'm saying? Seek knowledge abundantly. You know, subhanallah. And so um, don't make my mistake. <laughs> I saw a little bit of knowledge and I acted crazy. Don't be me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> be better than me. You know? SubhanAllah. But that's actually truly incredible. I really hope that people are really listening to your story and seeing like no one is far from Allah. SubhanAllah. Your life can change so drastically. And you could not only be put on a path to, to, to Allah, but you could be, Allah can make you a custodian. He makes you an example for others to, to, give, to think about. Mm to reflect about you know when you look at people subhanallah like this podcast is about doing to dip all people's lives you know what I'm saying <laughs> the way that like they're, it, it really is it's about reflecting look what the, Allah did for this person glad tidings like look Allahu look at what Allah could do for this person and that person and this person look how far this person was look where they end up you know yeah. now today they're pro- they're providing they're not only are they you know practicing Muslims or they're you know slaves of Allah uh, humble servants of Allah but they're also people Calling people back. They're telling people, come back. Mm. I was there. I know. Come back. There's no life there for you. Mm. You know, and, and those are the moments that make me really emotional because I think that's where, that's where the relating comes from. That's where we relate the most. Everybody mm. can relate to a, a difficult moment, you know? But not everybody can relate to a good moment. Like everybody, ha- some people just haven't seen anything yet. Mm. Some people have just been in darkness for a while, you know? And so... Um, Jazakallah khair for sharing that. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair for having me. The honor is all ours. All ours. Inshallah. Allah. This episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios. I'd love to give a shout out to our executive producer, Munashik Umar, our guest producer for this episode, Sosnaf Tullahi, our guest editor, Lamisa Chowdhury, our assistant producers, Nima Harun Akwe Bazid, our incredible graphic designer, Wasima Fada, and once again, our ex- extraordinary marketing extraordinaire, Sosnaf Abdullahi. Thank you, ladies, for this beautiful episode. I can't thank you guys Great. enough. As you already know, I'll be in your ears, in your speakers telling you a good story.